1: Welcome to the Daily Face Off Show, your everyday source for the latest news with top-notch insight and analysis, live every weekday at
4: noon Eastern. Yes, there is an exercise bike behind me in my hotel room in Denver, and to answer your question, no, I do not intend on using it. So uh welcome into the Daily Face Off show. Today is Friday, June 24th. It could be the last day of the NHL season. The Stanley Cup will be in the building at Ball Arena on Friday night for game five. He's Matt Larkin, Daily Face Off managing editor and senior writer. Matt, how you holding up?
5: I'm good, Frank. And you know, to me, the exercise bike, you may not be on it literally, but it's a metaphor. You're in the grind, you're pumping away. We're near the end of the finish line of the regular season. I'm proud of you.
4: Yep. Uh, Look, this body's a temple and I do everything I can to maintain it. So uh, that's why they put it in here. They were also sending me a gentle message. Um, Matt, let's throw two minutes and 30 seconds up on the clock and let's drop the puck with game five. We've counted out the Tampa Bay Lightning at so many points in this postseason already. Friday night is the third time that they will face elimination so far in these playoffs alone. They've been able to stave that off a few times already. What do they have to do? Can they keep it going?
5: This time, I'm pretty skeptical that they can keep it going. Uh, If you look only one team in nhl history has come back from a 3-1 series deficit in the stanley cup final and the lightning are just running out of gas they're so banged up we saw of course eric chernak left game four nikita kucherov might be playing through something we know nick paul is playing through something we had anthony sorelli get cut by a skate the list just keeps going and going of course Braden point meanwhile the avalanche are getting a little bit healthier we have nazim kadri back the lightning now they have to win two of three at altitude in colorado to win this series. And if you look at the scoring chances, five on five, it's 121 to 76. That's just five on five. Then we factor in special teams and the Avalanche six for 13 on the power play. They're dominating the series kind of everywhere. I think it easily could be a sweep. Even the game that Tampa won 6-2, I said before, territorially, it was pretty close. So I'm actually pretty skeptical now that Tampa can stay alive.
4: Yeah, it's not just win two of three at altitude. There's also no margin for error. Win three straight, or your season is over. You mentioned the special teams, and we'll tackle that shortly with our friend John Goyens and some coaching insight. I I also just feel like John Cooper sort of kicked a hornet's nest with his emotional response after Game Four, saying that there was too many men on the ice. You know, if first off, it sent the I think it sent the wrong message to his own team because it felt like a post mortem press conference. That's how emotionally was, and the season wasn't over yet. And I also think with the abs perspective, it's like, Oh, wait, he's trying to take away from Nazem Kadri's moment? Like, Why is that par for the course for Naz and his career that someone always seems to be detracting from his accomplishments or trying to take away or, or kick him uh, while he's in a spot where he just had the biggest moment of his life? He's such an emotional part of, of the Colorado Avalanche Corps and such a big part of what they do that I'd imagine they're going to be pretty fired up, not that you need any extra motivation when the Stanley Cup is in the building.
5: Yeah, there's bulletin material there, bulletin board material. And what's interesting to me about Cooper's mini meltdown, if you could call it that, is the Lightning's entire identity, the more they win these championships, it's unflappable. That's what they are. It's it's the other team that's supposed to get rattled. They're supposed to get in their opponent's head. That's been sort of a key element of their identity during this run the last few seasons. And seeing John Cooper crumble a little bit, to me, that says that maybe this team is finally breaking down and their time is over.
4: Yeah, I think he senses it. I think we all sensed it with that game four. how big of a swing it was from 2-2 to going back to Denver down 3-1. The Avs smell blood and they've had very few hiccups. A team that's lost three games all postseason would now have to lose three straight. I just don't see it happening. I think the Avs take the Stanley Cup and make it happen in game five on home ice on Friday night. Matt, some news on Friday morning, the Chicago Blackhawks, you heard it here first at dailyfaceoff.com, will be hiring uh, Luke Richardson as their 40th head coach. Uh, As I mentioned in my tweet uh, a little less than an hour ago, sources say Richardson and the Hawks are putting the final touches on a contract. It is not signed. But the Hawks did go through the process this morning of notifying the other candidates that they would not be advancing in the process. And in this case, A major win for Luke Richardson, who has certainly paid his dues along the way, 1400 plus NHL games. That's just regular season. In addition to the work that he's done going through the ranks, eight years as an NHL assistant coach with the Ottawa Senators, the New York Islanders, and the last four seasons with the Montreal Canadiens. And also four years as an AHL head coach in Binghamton, he's gone through every process Uh, And done it the right way to get to this point. And what I also love about it, Matt, as the Blackhawks chart their new path forward is they've brought in some new blood. They're not hiring a retread. I know that they thought long and hard about their king uh, returning, but in this case, Luke Richardson gets a shot.
5: Yeah, it's great to see. I feel like he's been at or near the top of that list of best candidates who haven't gotten a shot as a head coach in the NHL because he's been doing it. He's been behind NHL benches for I think it's close to two decades now, right? Long stint with Ottawa, of course, Montreal the last several seasons. He coached Canada to a Spangler Cup in 2017 and he did get a little taste on the big stage, of course, last year during the playoffs. Dominique Ducharme with Montreal goes into COVID protocol and under Luke Richardson the Habs defeat Vegas. They reached the Stanley Cup final. He had to handle the swirl of media day. Luke Richardson, I thought, handled it really well. He's sort of like a just calm customer to me, like almost like a throwback and he doesn't get too high or low. He has so much experience. He was such a rugged player. I think he's a head coach that other players are really going to identify with.
4: And I think that's been the sense from his time in Montreal as well, that they're certainly going to miss his contributions as an assistant coach. Uh, on the back end with that team, he certainly helped a lot of different players grow. He's so personable, too. Like, he's someone that's easy to talk to, easy to get along with that. Um, you know, I just think he's going to be a fantastic fit with the Chicago Blackhawks moving forward. Uh, they get their guy after going through a pretty long process. Like, that team, of course, was a non-playoff team. It's late June, and they now finally have their next head coach in place in Luke Richardson. Let's uh, let's talk about... Uh, some other news that came out on Thursday night, Matt, and that was Patrice Bergeron news from our friend, Joey Mack that uh, Joe McDonald reporting that Patrice Bergeron is likely to return to the Boston Bruins on a one-year deal. A little bit surprising in the sense, Matt, that Patrice Bergeron really looked like someone towards the end of last season that was worn down and in the playoffs. And the way that his teammates congratulated him and gave him hugs after they lost to the Carolina Hurricanes in Game 7, it sort of felt like everyone thought that this might be it. And he captures that fifth Selkie trophy and you go, okay, like pretty decent way to go out for a guy that's really done a whole lot of winning in his career Still, obviously, uh, a quite capable player in this league. But I think, Matt, maybe the big turning point here is that Bruce Cassidy is gone. They've made a coaching change. I've I've reported here before, and this seems to shock some people given Bruce Cassidy's nature in the media, that I think a lot of Bruins players had, had, you know, they were tired of the act. He had worn thin on them. He was grinding on not just the young players, but also the older guys on the team. And I think maybe that change of pace... Now, even though we don't know who the next guy is, now that Bruce Cassidy's in Vegas, it maybe makes it a little bit easier for Patrice Bergeron to come back.
5: Yeah, it certainly sounds like it. And you're right. It seemed like there was such a finality when it came to that goodbye at the end of the season. Very emotional. But to me, what's really interesting now is it changes the identity of the Boston Bruins going forward if they still have their number one center, who was still playing at a very high level. Arguably, a lot of people thought this was the best season of his career. And looking at it now, I was someone who have I've been driving the Bruins for Bedard, the tank will bus, of course, because you have Charlie McAvoy, Brad Marchand, both having major surgeries out six plus months, going to start the season on LTIR. Same with Mike Riley, probably going to be out to start the season. Matt Grizzlick as well. So I was thinking, OK, this is the season for Boston to take a step back. But now you have your top line center back in Patrice Bergeron. I think it makes the lineup a lot more deadly. Of course, Bergeron has such an impact at both ends of the ice. And what if, for example, David Krejci decides to come back across the pond and you have your top two centers back? Then maybe the Bruins are in a position where they can sort of survive until their veterans get healthy. Maybe they can actually run it back and be competitive one more season. So to me, it really changes the trajectory. And I wonder if it's going to affect the coaching higher as well.
4: Yeah, it's amazing. Those two things were kind of obviously incongruous. Like you were thinking, you know, Bruins tank for Bedard, and then all of a sudden, Bergeron comes back, and it's like, well, how healthy? How quickly can we get Charlie McAvoy back? How quickly can we get Brad Marchand back? all of a sudden you try and speed up the timeline on those injuries as much as you can, if at all possible uh, to be as competitive as you can to try and take advantage of another season from Patrice Bergeron. Uh, no confirmation just yet from the Boston Bruins and probably no rush for Bergeron to sign his deal. You know, he had said previously Bruins are bust uh, Bruins are retire essentially. So uh, that's the situation. And, uh, Quality information from our pal Joe McDonald there in the Boston area. Uh, speaking of Bergeron, his agent or former agent, I should say, in Montreal, Canadians, general manager, Ken Hughes joined the DFO Rundown podcast on Friday morning with myself and co-host Jason Greger. And we asked him about the status of Carey Price moving forward. I, honestly, I, I can't give more of an update than what I have because it's what we know. I, I think time... To be perfectly honest, it is going to be uh, what dictates what happens with Kerry. He, you know, he's he had a uh, a small procedure, not an operation of any sort, and we're waiting to see how his knee responds to it all. Uh, we're hopeful, but at the end of the day, it, you know, our our concern it, it's not if you're already an LTIR then what's the big deal? It, it's, it's really the significance of how deep you are in LTIR that was of concern to us. And, and without knowing unequivocally what was going to happen with Kerry, we felt it was the, the prudent move to, uh, to be able to move Shay's contract if we could without you know, having to pay too big of a price to do it. And instead, you know, we're happy to get a winger that we think can help us. A trade for the montreal Canadiens, getting a useful player back in in uh, dodonov that they could also flip at the deadline for assets if they want to uh just to get off of shea weber's contract it's a perfect fit for the habs they take full advantage of the situation that the vegas golden knights were in who previously also had to pay to try and move Evgeny Denonov before that trade was voided. Just one other nugget, Matt, from Kent Hughes and his appearance, he was saying we're using every run, every bit of runway possible. Uh, they have not decided yet on who they will be taking with that number one pick. It seems like it's going to come down to the final. couple days here before the Montreal Canadiens are hosting the draft, At Bell Center with the number one overall pick, the first team to do so since the Toronto Maple Leafs did it in the mid-80s when they selected Wendell Clark. Uh, Matt, you know, what do you think? Carey Price, he's been saying for a while now, his knee hasn't reacted the way that he wanted. How do you feel about his chances moving forward for this season and how, how do you replace Carey Price if you're the Habs?
5: Yeah, I don't think he's really replaceable, especially his mental toughness he's shown throughout his career as well. Just the icy aura he has about him. But it's interesting to me, the way Price has spoken about his injury, he doesn't sound to me like a player who expects to be playing or at least being a full-time starter for the rest of his career. And it's interesting, the comments from Ken Hughes today, my assumption when the trade happened last week was that Montreal knew that Price would be on LTIR all year. And that's why they don't want to go too deep into it. That's why they move Shea Weber. It sounds today like Ken Hughes is leaving the door open for a price return. And if he's in the lineup, if he's coming back during the season, then you have to start thinking about cap compliance. It really changes, I think, Montreal's salary cap situation. If they know they're getting carrier price back, do you have to try harder to move someone like a Jeff Petrie or maybe a Jonathan Duran because he only has the one year left on his deal? So to me, not just from a hockey standpoint, but from a cap standpoint, whatever happens with price is really going to put Montreal on a different path.
4: Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see how that plays out. And the tough part for Montreal is they may not know until September or October when Price tries to give it a go. Harry Price, the 2022 Masterton Trophy winner as well. Uh, You can listen to episode 140 of the DFO Rundown wherever you get your podcasts. Let's turn now to get some coaching insights from John Goyens, and we'll look at Game 5 of the Stanley Cup Final.
1: Selling a little or a lot?
4: That's right. Pleased to welcome back to the Daily Faceoff show, John Goyans for a visit to the coaches' room delivered by DoorDash. John, there's been such a discrepancy in the Stanley Cup Final between the special teams of the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Colorado Avalanche. The Avs six for thirteen on the power play. The Lightning just one for fourteen so far in this series. What kind of adjustments do you think need to be made or could be made uh, for Tampa going forward in the special teams department?
2: Well, I think the way they have to defend or the way they've been defending five on five and on, let's say, on the PK has made for a lot of work, a lot of shot blocks. And right now, it just feels like the tank. I, I feel like if I was back in high school boring my dad's car and I had 10 bucks in my name and that's all I could put in the gas tank just to get from, say, my house to a party or my house to uh, the girlfriend's house, like, it seems like they're never able to get the tank back to full the way they have to defend the way they're having to block so many shots on every penalty kill. Now that's a certain style. There's certain defensemen, the willingness, however you could, you know, again, we've been using the word mitigate a lot on, on, on several segments here is mitigate how much work needs to be put and and the style of penalty killing, which we'll see in the, in the upcoming clips eventually here is there's a lot of work having to be done by several players and for example there's one player not necessarily the specific player but the player playing the f2 spot having to do kind of little to no movement and it's creating a lot of work it's creating a lot of like point blank shot blocks that are just they're just wearing them down and and it, i i think As we're gonna go see the examples that I pulled up and and what made me really think about this was, I thought St. Louis was the team that was really close to knocking off Colorado for a lot of reasons. And when I went to do a deep dive, knowing a few people involved in St. Louis, I I thought that St. Louis was a great example for for many reasons. You see here on the power play, they, they would make and force Colorado's PK collapse. By doing that, you're going to open the zone and you're going to create uh, bypass situations with a Perunovic, who was in the lineup purely to play the power play. Again, get the Colorado PK to collapse. Open up the top and you watch Bucinavich play hide and seek behind the net, forcing Colorado to come up three high. Now you're creating lanes and creating chaos, which is going to create the opportunity for Sad to put in the back of the net. Off faceoffs. Here, this is better by Tampa. Now you're getting Colorado run around. But the point that becomes more important, it's a little bit off a of broken play here, is that they're going to force Colorado to collapse right here. Very similar to what St. Louis did. Now it's coming up. When the one T happens, now you got numbers at the net. That hasn't happened enough. The one area here that I like. That they attempted here off a face-off was a quick face-off play. Drag, 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 right? Get them running around. However, you got to still find pocket of space. Who am I to tell Stamkos how to score? However, the pocket of space is available. Again, a face-off play, this time a little tighter and you're watching Stamkos come back door. So there are opportunities for them to 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 you know strike on the power play however the timing of certain shots without net presence and shooting from areas uh that are very low in percentage they're just not going to help and when in doubt and since bad line changes seems to be the theme these days get a quick up versus a little line change and, and 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 attack with speed like jordan Kyrie. <sighs>
5: John, when it comes specifically to the avalanche power play, it's not like it's just clicking at 30%. 6 for 13 is utterly dominant. Against a Tampa penalty kill, it's been pretty good in the playoffs. So if you're the Lightning, how do you
2: survive this onslaught right now? You've got to front them a little bit more. You've got to stop run. I don't want to say running around because it's actually part of their strategy of Planting an F two right in the mid slot, and then having a guy travel across. Some people call it the windshield wiper because he goes from one side to the other while you really cut off the the middle. So you're 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 taking away any type of slot passes, which is hugely important when you have a Nazem Kadri there. But he's only he's only been there for one game, right? So Tampa, uh, Tampa Colorado's almost had an absence of the bumper guy and not really use them, yet Tampa is still used the guy. So they're playing what's called a T-intersection. Here's your T-intersection. Okay? Lekkonen is not as dangerous as Kadri, as we well know. This creates a lot of work and miscommunications. That's a hell of a play by McCart I think Landis Gogh's just shocked. Just shocked. But if we've watched this whole clip, and again, a bad stick here by Paul, Paul has had to travel so much. That clip eventually ends up in the... Wacky goal by McKinnon on the power play. Watch how Paul has to travel. Here's your T-intersection. And Landisog gets inside position. So they're not really getting in a position to box out guys uh, as well as they could. And there's a lot of traveling going on. Here again, and I wanted this view, not fronting guys quickly enough is creating these stationary screens that aren't even Colorado's players, are more Tampa's players because Chernak can't go higher than this. And that's an elite shot. So sometimes you just got to say, hey, it is what it is. Now we watch St. Louis. They're going to be a tighter diamond here. Watch are already shading over towards McKinnon. Everybody's tighter. There's not a lot of running around. They're tighter. Again, diamond again. So they're not overly concerned with the bumper. You're going to see the example of going an east-west pass, but instead of the guy going all the way across the foursome, Bushnevich fronts him. It comes back up top. Bushnevich becomes the top of the diamond. And O'Reilly, one of the smartest hockey players in the world, he adjusts. And everything that goes back towards the net, they're always collapsing three. Watch here again. O'Reilly's going to give a glance. Now they exchange. He becomes the top of the diamond. Bushnevich slides back, and a very similar goal that we saw from Bushnevich scoring on the on the collapse to the net. St. Louis is four on two, so I think that they just need to play tighter where there's smaller routes. I, I know we we got American fans and Canadian fans, so we got routes or routes, but. You, you have shorter distances to travel, which becomes a lot less work, a lot less taxing. And you saw they didn't have to worry about, you know, laying the body on the line as much.
4: A lot of car references from John Goyens today. We had routes, intersections, windshield wipers, gas tanks, the whole nine yards as we had a cup of coffee today with John Goyens in the coaches' room. I just know one thing, John. Uh, I'm not, not going to be volunteering to have you borrow my car anytime soon if you're not going to be filling it up or returning it with a full tank. Uh, thank you so much for John Goyens' uh, today's visit in the coach's room. Fantastic inside the clips were unbelievable. Great job. Uh, this has been delivered by DoorDash. You see the promo codes there at the bottom of your screen. DFODD. If you're in Canada, DFODDUS. If you're in the United States, that gets you 25% off and free delivery on your first order with DoorDash. The cup could be awarded tonight. You don't want to cook. All your favorites and more delivered right to your door by DoorDash. Thanks, John. Thank you. All right, Matt, it's time for our Daily Face-Off inbox question of the day. Hit us up on Twitter, hashtag AskDFO. Matt, the Hockey Hall of Fame selection committee is slated to meet on Monday in person for the first time since before the pandemic. As they deliberate on the class of 2022, you've done the work. Your story is going up today on DailyFace-Off.com. Who are your locks for the class of 22 for the Hall?
5: Well, Frank, we can make a case there's no true slam dunk lock, but I think there are several near locks. I'm going to start with the Sedin twins, first time eligible. You can debate if they were dominant enough in their careers. I think their peaks were strong enough. If you look at other candidates who are currently eligible for the hall, you will not find other scoring champions. You will not find an MVP. That's a forward. You will not find a winner of the Ted Lindsay award. And between Daniel and Henrik, they have won all of those things. They also are Olympic gold medalists from 2006. And they have hit the benchmark which is usually important to the hall a thousand points so i think we are gonna see the Sidine twins inducted together announced monday i'm also looking very closely at carolyn roulette i think she has been a lock since her career ended, she's an institution. She's a dominant winner. I think it's what four times that she won Olympic gold. I think she was the first to win four Olympic golds in a row. To me, it was always only a matter of time for her. I I suspect she's going to get the call. So to me, it's those three is the locks. And on the fringe, we're looking at Roberto Luongo as well. 400 plus wins, he's fourth all time in the wins list. He was a Vezina Trophy finalist so many times. You could argue his legacy was always about being second best. But the volume is there. I'm also looking at Jennifer Botterill as well. Just like Carolyn Ouellette, amazing resume. First person to ever win the Patty Kazmaier NCAA two years in a row. So much gold. So many so many victories at the pro level as well. So she's on the fringe. But the locks, Sadines and Carolyn Ouellette.
4: I'm with you. I, I had some question marks about the Sadines. Just. You know, obviously, I think, I think you framed it so perfectly that their peaks were high enough to get in. They also had, if you want to make the case against sort of four to five very average or below average years to start their careers in Vancouver. And then after the peak, they really kind of dropped off in a pretty significant way. And their production the last, you know, three to four years was also sort of uh, mediocre in the sense that there's a standard of excellence for the Hockey Hall of Fame. But you mentioned the individual hardware and also just the fact, Matt, that they were twins and did something in NHL history that no one has really ever done with their symbiotic play on the ice. Uh, so impressive to watch that chemistry and to, to see the, the plays that they would make, knowing where each other were without looking. It was absolutely sublime to watch in Vancouver. And I'm with you on Roberto Luongo. I, I got, he passes the eye test for me. And the interesting thing about all those years that he was a Vezina runner up or finalist, like it was all against Hockey Hall of Famers. Like you're talking the Martin Brodeurs in that category that he was losing to every year. That I think if you are coming in second or third only to Hockey Hall of Famers, that you probably belong in that group and had such a sustained run of success that the only unfortunate part for Roberto Luongo Matt is that he he didn't really play on good teams a lot and was kind of stuck in terms of you know the hardware that he was able to collect because he was doing having to do a lot of the heavy lifting himself.
5: Yeah, it's a really good point, especially if you look at Luongo's first tenure as a Florida Panther. You could argue he was the best goaltender in the world at the time, but those teams were mediocre. He was getting absolutely peppered on those shots. If you go and look up the NHL records for most shots faced and saves in the season, you'll see Gump Worsley on there. But Roberto Luongo, his Florida Panther seasons during that first tenure, he's up there as well. And he had consistently high save percentages. He was absolutely blitzed and was so dominant in those years before he went to Vancouver. So that alone, that peak, I think, is sort of the overlooked part of his career, which you could argue maybe he should have won a Vezina trophy, but there's a historical bias toward victories when the GMs vote on the Vezina. That's probably why Luongo never got one.
4: Yeah, Hockey Hall of Fame uh, Class of 2022 announcement Monday, 3 p.m. Eastern. You can watch it on TSN3 and NHL Network. Live uh, induction weekend will be November 14th. Looking forward to seeing who will be in the Class of 2022. Let's bring in Tyler Remchuk for our daily face-off, daily bet segment. Tyler, Game 5, cup in the building. Conn Smythe, trophy in the building. What are you betting on?
0: Well, it could be the last chance to wager on NHL hockey for a few months. And that just ah, has me feeling a little, uh, uh, I'm I'm a little rattled here, Frank. But yeah, we're getting into the game big time tonight. I got three bets for game five. Cause as you know, I was investing in the Tampa Bay Lightning to win this series. So tonight I got to try win back a little bit of that money. And to do it, we're betting on the abs. I think this series ends tonight and we're going big. It's a Colorado puck line bet at plus 145 tonight. I love that value. I think if they're up late. I think Tampa Bay, you know, like you do in elimination games, you pull the goalie a little bit early, right? So I like the chances of Colorado if they don't just blow Tampa Bay out of the water straight up of at least getting an empty net or late in this game. So you compare them at the money line minus 186. Nah, there's no juice there. Huck line plus 145. That's juicy. And I like it. I also have a couple of player props that I'm keeping my eye on tonight. The first one is a Nathan McKinnon goal. Not a lot of, you know, statistical analysis to back this one up. He's a big game player. This is a big game. I can see Nathan McKinnon coming through for the abs plus 145. That is once again, a good enough payout for me. I think McKinnon finds the back of the net in this one. And my other prop is a bit of a safer play here. And it's a Kale McCarr assist. As you can see here, it comes in at minus 150. He's hit this thing in three of his last five games. So not exactly the pace you love to see when it's a minus 150 bet like this, but he does have seven assists in that span. He's now hit it. In back to back games. And again, he's a guy who's going to be on the ice late if there's a potential empty netter. And if there's not a potential empty net situation for the Avs, it's probably because they've scored three, four, or five goals throughout the games. And I like McCarr's chances of getting involved with an apple there as well. So it's an avalanche puck line win, a McKinnon goal, a McCarr assist. And who knows? Maybe, you know, McKinnon just scores one early, McCarr gets the apple, and it's a sweat free evening for me
4: that would be nice uh we're usually excited to boot you at this point for garbage time or at least i am on a daily basis but instead we're gonna have you stick around tyler because you want to uh throw some garbage at us in terms of what some props
0: yes so you know how when the super bowl is handed out you can go on any betting site and you get those big long prop sheets and there's like a hundred things like what color will the gatorade be will the mvp say he's going to disneyland Well, I did a toned down version of that for if the Stanley Cup is handed out tonight. This is the official daily face-off prop sheet, so you can play along with your friends. Maybe you wager the next round of beers on this thing. The first one, will a player swear on live TV after the game? We got over under two and a half players shown crying on TV during the celebration. Will the net be dislodged during the initial celebration when the goalie's throwing his gloves up? It's actually pretty close to 50-50 on that one from some of the videos I watched. Then you have who will the captain pass the cup to and whose parents will be shown first on the television broadcast after the game. So I'll let you guys think of your answers for a second here. I am going with yes under yes. And then I'm gonna go with uh I'm gonna go with Nathan McKinnon for who Landeskog will pass it to. And for parents, I will go with Kale McCarr after he wins the con Smythe. Frank, let's go. What are your answers?
4: I'm gonna say yes over. Yes, Eric Johnson is a stone-cold mortal lock. He's Gabriel Landeskog's best friend and also the longest-tenured Ave. There's zero chance the Cup gets passed to anyone else. And I'm going to say whose parents will be shown first. Yeah, McCarr is a good one. Uh, Gary McCarr has uh, certainly been around during the Stanley Cup uh, final and has been shown on TV a lot. It feels like they're able to find him. But, you know, the funny thing is, Tyler, I guess if you're keeping track of these props, like Whose parents will be shown first on TV? I guess it depends on which feed you're watching. Like, Are you watching the Canadian Hockey Night feed? Or are you getting the ESPN feed? Like, You could have a discrepancy in answers here that I hadn't exactly considered.
0: Yeah, that's fair enough. Uh, Matt, what do you got? What are your answers here? Oh, this feels like a
5: Family Feud, Fast Money. Although I don't see the board now. So I'm gonna have to go. I oh. hope, hope I can remember. There we Great. go. The board. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Alex. Okay. So First one, uh, it's an easy yes. That's the best bet on the board. I think because of Jonathan Quick and Corey Crawford, it's become a tradition now. I think the swears are almost deliberate. So we're going to hear some F-bombs. Over under on crying. I'm going to say under. I don't think this Avs team is that old. So there aren't that many guys that are at the end of their rope. That's an under for me. I'm going to say no net dislodging. Darcy Kemper is a big guy. He can hold his ground. I don't think he's going to get knocked into the net. Who's going to get that first cup pass? I agree with Frank. It's a slam dunk. Eric Johnson, the bestie of Gabriel Landeskog. And I agree. It's going to be Kale McCarr. He, he's just got the boyish look. He, he's the player on the Avs that looks like his parents are most involved and matter most attending the game. He's just the guy I associate the most with parents. Kale McCarr.
0: Well, there we go. Those will be available on our Twitter and our Instagram so people can uh, play along as well.
4: Great job, Tyler, on the prop sheet. Lots of fun. Um, I did write a feature today on dailyfaceoff.com looking at Eric Johnson and his career. The forgotten number one overall pick in these playoffs, a guy who didn't know that he was going to be able to play this year because he only played four games last year with a concussion. It took a call from Joe Sackick in July to get him uh, back on the ice again saying that the Avs needed him. And now he was saying, thank God I did because If I was watching this on my couch right now after being there for 12 years, he was there when Peter Forsberg was still playing, that uh, this would certainly be tough to stomach. So I think Eric Johnson is the one lock on the sheet. And I have a confession to make, guys. As the media comes out and we're actually back this year, scheduled to be back conducting our post-game interviews in the case of a cup-clinching game on the ice surface, I personally have a hard time not getting emotional myself as I walk around and see all these players and families so emotional. It is the weirdest thing that I have going in my reporting career. I can't help but like see all these other people that are so excited and so happy. Uh, and they're just crying all over the place. Like It gets me every single time.
5: That's a prop bet. We need the Frank Zervali crying prop bet. Let's add it to the list, Tyler. Yeah, that's I've, I've never I missed, actually I
4: shed tears, but I, I half the time I'm like choking them back because there's always that's some story, some, you know, TJ Oshi with his dad, who, of course, now passed away. Like, it's just like those certain things like just grab you. And uh, I don't know, it's it, it is a life, as Eric Johnson said in the piece today on Daily Face Off, it is your life's work culminating in one moment. So to think that these guys who are 34 or 36 years old have been doing it since they were three or four to make it to this point, to win, to get your name uh, engraved in the Stanley cup for all time. Gets me every time. So uh, thank you guys. What a great edition of the daily face off show. A great way to wrap up the week. We'll see the Tampa Bay lightning. You're going to have a lot to say whether or not the Stanley cup stays in its case on Friday night. Puck drop, 8 p.m. Eastern. Thanks so much for joining us for the Daily Face-Off show. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com for all the latest news, insight, and analysis from around the National Hockey League. Buckle up. Going to be busy a couple weeks. We'll be back on Monday, 12 noon Eastern. You know where to find us. Until then, enjoy the game and have a great, have a great weekend, everyone.
3: Have a catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well,
0: but there's more. You gotta decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount, and that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's gonna find the back of the net first, and you're gonna wanna be careful, cause that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you gotta predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third?